Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, I definitely have a motivational individual with me today. His name is Brian Gillette. He is an author, founder of his own leadership business, former human resource executive in Silicon Valley, and he is an ultra endurance athlete, and his specialization is helping people elevate their potential and push their limits beyond their perceived capabilities. So we're going to be talking to him about the amazing things that he's done in his life and how he helps people elevate their potential. So Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. It's nice to be on your show, Curtis. Great to talk to you and look forward to the conversation. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, you did you did a nice job uh, with the intro, but a uh, little bit more. So I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and grew up in this area. As you had mentioned, I'm a former uh, senior HR executive, so vice president of human resources for a mid-sized technology company, and been in several technology companies um, in the human resources and leadership development space in my career. And then about 10 years ago, in fact, 10 years ago, last this past month, I started up my own business, Summiting Group, uh, and focusing on you know, strategic planning, aligning teams, and then uh, executive coaching and leadership development. So I, as you mentioned, I'm also an ultra distance athlete, so I love adventures. And so I've done a lot on the ultra distance side on bikes, including you know, biking 300 miles in one day or biking and biking across the United States 4,000 miles. And then got involved in running a number of years ago and did, did the marathon, did some 50s, 100, and then did a 200 mile run around Lake Tahoe. Um, which was over the course of 76 hours. So also love to travel. I've uh, been around the world with my wife one, uh, twice. And then one of those times we took our kids for a year. We took them out of school. So that's a little bit about me. Well, tell us how you got into the ultra distance athlete thing. Uh, that's amazing to be riding. <laughs> what was that like? And, and how do you prepare for riding across the U.S. And, and running around Lake Tahoe and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, uh, preparing for something like that or preparing for anything at work. Um, you know, I just put a book out, writing a book. They are all big things and they all kind of are similar in terms of how you prepare for them. So how, how I got involved in ultra distance. So I, I've been a cyclist all my life um, since I was a little kid. And I remember as a teenager, my parents and I rode our bikes 200 miles from kind of my home up into Yosemite National Park. And, you know, we did it over the course of four days. And I just really enjoyed kind of getting, getting from one place to another under your own power where normally you would have taken, we would have taken a car. And, and so I got involved, you know, I did several trips down from Canada, um, from, from Oregon, from Washington. So 500 mile, although up to a thousand mile trips. 
and I just enjoyed it. And then, you know, I, I knew a, a friend of mine had ridden across the United States and I thought, wouldn't that be cool to go from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, um, all under your own power. And so I did that when I was 20. Um, and it was just, it just a blast. And so I just fell in love with the long distance stuff and then started doing kind of long distance day rides, 100, 200 miles, and then eventually a 300 mile on the bike. And as I was finishing that 300 mile bike ride, I realized, you know, I haven't done running before. I, I'd like to run a marathon because that's kind of the ultimate. And that's how I got involved in running. And you finish one event and you think, okay, now what's next? And, and preparing for, you know, we, we could talk a long time of how do you prepare for something like this, but you gotta be able to you know, see the finish line. So I, I've got the, the name of my book is Epic Performance Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. And the epic performance, what that stands for is the E, and this is how, how you kind of get from, from idea to, to finish line. The E is how do you envision the big things in life that you want to accomplish? You got to be able to see that finish line. The P is how do you put a plan in place in order to accomplish your vision? The I is how do you iterate to that plan? You don't start off running 200 miles. You start off running four miles and then you go to five miles and then six miles. Um, and so that's the I is iterate. The C is collaborate. How do you collaborate with people who've done this before? Somebody has done something similar before and how do you learn from their successes? How do you learn from their failures? And then lastly, the performance, you just got to go out and do it. So the epic gets you to the start line and then the performance gets you from the start line to the finish line. And, and as I interviewed these hundred executives and endurance athletes, you know, what, what it took for some of them to start their own company, to rise to the level of a, a you know, CEO, a CIO, a CHRO, um, they're all kind of some of the, the basic, basic things I talked about in terms of envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. And it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> so what kind of bike did you use? Are you using a motorcycle or, or what kind of bike are you oh, using? Oh, no, this is, this, is a, uh, this is a pedal bike. So, wow. you know, it's, um, you know, one of them was, a, I think I had a 21 speed, one's an 18 speed. I think on some of the early rides, I was on a 10 speed. But no, this is all under, no motorbike, um, no motors whatsoever on either the runs or the rides. Amazing. So tell us about what inspired you and, and what made you write your book. There, you know, I remember writing down a list of things that I wanted to do when I was in college, just kind of that life list. And, and one of them was to write a book. But I knew I had to have some body of work. I had to have something to say. And it wasn't till a number of years ago that it really kind of came to me. I mean, I had been working on the concept of epic performance um, and, you know, how do you, how do you dream and, and see things, see big things. And a, a while back, I, when I was doing the 300 mile uh, bike ride, I thought that would push me to my limits. I thought it would either push me physically or mentally to my limits. And I wanted to see how far I could take the mind and the body. And I thought that 300 mile 
um, bike ride would do it. It'd be the first time I was riding through the night. So I was, I was on the bike for just under 25 hours. Um, you know, I had some breaks along the way, but in a sense, you know, I left at five in the morning and I arrived about five 30 the next morning. And, and it was, it was hard. There's no doubt about it. And, and one of the things that, you know, as I was, I was trying to push myself to the limits, I realized at about mile 275, so I only have 25 miles left. It's about two in the morning, three in the morning. And I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't come close to in my limit. It, it was hard. And, and earlier in the day, I had seen somebody die, um, likely had a heart attack on the bike. And I came across him. He was on the side of the road and, and, and he hit obviously hit his limit, but it's like, I didn't hit mine. And, and I collided with a, an, another bike earlier in the day. I needed a new wheel, but still kind of with that, it's still, I did not hit the limit that I thought I might hit. And that got me thinking, it's like, maybe we put these limits in our head and they actually hold us back from getting where our true potential is. And then, you know, about five, five years ago, so my wife and I took our two boys when they were nine and 11 out of school for a year and we traveled around the world. And before we went, some friends held a going away party and there were a bunch of people there. And I remember a number of people came up to us and said, you know, I could never do what you're doing. And, and that hit me because you, they could. And they were telling themselves they couldn't, you know, now some of them did, wouldn't want to, and I get that, but they could do it. And so with those two things of kind of me thinking I had this limit, and then this other instance where people said, oh, I could never do that, I thought, oh, I, I want to be able to see how do we, how can I, you know, play a part in somebody trying to reach a little bit further there than their limit. And that's how the book came to be. And, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty practical playbook on how do you, how do you start to dream bigger? Not just dreaming a year out or two years out, but how are you dreaming 20, 30 years out? So that when you get to a much older age, you don't look back and go, God, you know, I wish I would have traveled around the world or I wish I would have moved to that company or, or started a, up a company. So you, you don't live with those regrets. And, and that's kind of how, how the book came to be. Well, what surprised you uh, about the executive that you interviewed for your book? Uh, you know, a couple things, Curtis, surprised me. First of all, when I set out the goal that I was going to interview 100 people, I thought, wonder how many people I am going to have to ask in order to get to 100 interviews. And, and I wasn't quite sure. I only had two people that said no which that surprised me in and itself but only two people said no and and what it made me kind of reinforce and i'd heard this many times and you know part of me kind of believed it but part of me didn't is you know i, I never I, I don't like to hear the word no and so i was afraid that if i'd go out and ask these people they'd say no and that would kind of put a, a damper on my plans and and but if you don't ask the answer is going to be no so if you at least ask, your chances of getting a yes answer go way up. And so that just kind of reinforced it and it surprised me. And, and the other thing, I mean, there, there were a number of things that surprised, but one other thing that surprised me, 
you know, I, I'm interviewing of the hundred people that I interviewed, about seventy-five percent were executives. So, kind of founders of companies, presidents of companies, or at the C level, chief executive, chief information officer, chief technology. So, so at the in the in the executive ranks, or you know, they founded their you know president of their company or something along those lines. About seventy-five percent were in that category, and then about twenty twenty-five percent were in the endurance athlete category. And I, I've played in in both sides, and and it's the reason why I wanted to interview kind of both of those is because I think there's some similarity between sport, you know, what people do in the endurance side, and what people do in the business side. And so I wanted to be able to to understand that. And, and so I figured, I mean, some of these people started up their own company and, you know, ended up selling it for, for a lot of money. And some started up a company and it went, it didn't go anywhere. They, they, they uh, lost money. And so I figured a lot of these people probably are very comfortable with risk and have no problems taking big risks. And so when I'd ask them, I said, you know, what's your thought on risk? They would all say, you know, we're very calculated or I'm very calculated in the risks that I take. I do my homework. I understand what the risks are and understand kind of where I am comfortable. So where I thought they were going to just be, oh, yeah, I can take all sorts of risk. They take very kind of a very pragmatic view on risk and they analyze what the pros, what the upside and what the downside could be. And then then they pull the trigger and they they move forward. Well, speaking of risk, what advice would you give leaders to encourage them to take more risks in organizations? Yeah, you know, I think too often we like to play in that comfortable zone. You know, I often uh, refer to it as, you know, if, if, if you're swimming, you know, being in the comfortable zone is when you're in the shallow end of the pool. And, and we like to be in the shallow end of the pool because it's comfortable. And, and every once in a while you have to move into the deep end and you have to get uncomfortable. And I think you should be looking at yourself of how are you spending a certain period of your time. It's not all the time, but how are you spending a certain period of your time in that uncomfortable zone? Because that's when, that's when you really, you, you push yourself. That's when you start to grow and, and you learn a lot. And so as an executive, it's how are you making it safe for your team to kind of try to move into that, that um, uncomfortable zone. When failure occurs, and failure should be occurring. I mean, I, I remember uh, when I was a kid, my, uh, my parents would take my brother and I skiing somewhere for a week, you know, into like Colorado or Utah or Idaho. And I remember we were in Breckenridge, Colorado. I think I was probably about 10 at the time. And at the end of the first day, I come skiing down the hill and, and I come to this nice sliding stop and, and spray snow all over my dad. And I'm feeling like the greatest skier in the world. And, and I said, God, dad, I haven't fallen all day. And I'm so proud. And, and he, he compliments me on my form. And he says, you know, one thing to keep in mind is if you don't fall, you're not pushing yourself. And so it's okay to fall every time. And, and that, you know, th that resonated with me. It, it, it probably didn't resonate as much as it should have, but it, it did resonate. So, you know, we got to be as, as executives um, or leaders, we have to be able to, you know, allow people to fall every once in a while. We have to get people to be able to think bigger and envision those big ideas about where they, where they want to go in life. Um, and, and so how do you build that environment that makes it, makes it okay to think bigger? 
I remember, you know, every time I would manage a team, I would have them, you know, spend a certain like 5% of their time working on things that had nothing to do with their MBOs, their goals, their quarterly goals. Because I wanted them to start looking out, looking out further and research new technology. I mean, what are this? Uh, so most of the goals are, are based on what we have to do this quarter or this year. And I wanted to think, I wanted them to be thinking about what are the things we have to do in the next couple of years and five years or 10 years and start thinking about that. So, so when it gets closer, we're already a step ahead of the competition. We're, we're kind of getting ready, more prepared for it. So, you know, as, as leaders, it's like, how do you help people think bigger? You know, how do you kind of help, help encourage them to get into the deep end of the pool? And when, when failure does occur, you know, we, we can either reward it. You don't want be, you don't want failure, but you know, we got to have some failure that shows that we're pushing the limits. And, and if you're not pushing those limits, you know, somebody else will, and they're going to take over, take over kind of your business. Well, you have a saying that says it's good to be nervous. So tell everybody what you mean by that. Yeah, I do think it's good to be nervous. It kind of goes along with the it gets get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, think about what your nervous quotient could be, and and if you're if you're nervous about doing something, you're thinking you're thinking big. If you're not nervous about you know taking on some endeavor then you're probably not thinking big enough. And I was, I was working with an organization just, just in the last couple of weeks and they put up, they put up some of their goals. I was help, helping them put together their, uh, their one and two year um, game plan. And they put the goals up. We had them up on a, on a piece of flip chart paper. And I looked back at them and I asked him, I said, you know, do these goals, do they make you nervous at all? You know, are you nervous when you look at them? And, and they all kind of looked at me and nodded, no, not, not really. And, and my response was, maybe we need to think a little bit bigger. Now, you, you don't necessarily want all, every goal to make you nervous, but some of them should make you nervous. And it shows that you're pushing yourself a little bit harder. It sh and, and chances are, you know, it, 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 th there's this difference between being, being nervous and it's like, there's no way I can do it. Um, you know, nervousness should be, it's like, okay, this is going to be hard. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to do it. So you should have some, you know, a little bit of doubt. Um, you know, if, if you know, you're going to, you can easily hit it out of the home, uh, out of the park, then, you know, talking about curveball, if you know, you can easily hit it out of the park. Well, maybe you're ready for a bigger park. Well, let's, uh, th this next question is a two part question. You, you know, you took off from a high paying job to travel around the world. The first question is, was that hard to do? And the second question, you took your kids out of school to do it. Did you face any repercussions? But because I know that the requirements on having them in school, how did you get around that? So you know, was it hard? Um, it, it was easy to decide to go. That, you know, it, it, it was, it, there's no doubt about it. It's hard. It's hard to be on the road. You know, we were moving on average every three days. Um, we, I think we were in 29 countries or something along that. 
um, you know, our kids, you know, just like whether they were home or were in some exotic land, kids, kids are kids, boys are boys, they're still going to fight, they're still going to disagree. Um, so that's the same, whether you're traveling or you're not traveling, but, you know, it, it, it was really easy to decide to go. Um, my wife and I, we, you know, we had decided pretty much before they were born that we would do something. Once we had kids and they got to a certain age, you know, this, this toward the end of elementary school is a good time to go. We thought, let's, let's take them out of school. And, and, you know, we had like nine years to prepare for it, you know, nine years to save up, nine years to kind of start laying things out and on how we were going to do it. And, but it, yeah, there's no doubt about it. It was hard. I think all, all great things at some point are hard. Um, you're the, the, the second part Oh, the second part of the question was about schooling and, and what were the ramifications? They actually came back, I believe, ahead of their peers. Um, it's surprisingly easy, at least in the United States, to take kids out of school for a year. And you, you think about when you look at what, you know, when you'd have to figure out what grade your kids go into school, there isn't, in m many cases, there isn't an, an entrance test to figure out, oh, yeah, they're ready for fourth grade, they're ready for fifth grade. What they look at is they look at your age. And that's when they put you, that's how they figure out what grade you are. I mean, there's kids coming in from all sorts of countries, all different countries. And I mean, most of them aren't taking a, a entrance exams or they look at it, it's like, okay, that kid is nine. They're going to go into the third grade. And, and what we had, we had talked to a number of people beforehand. This is the C part of Epic collaborate and, and understood kind of what needed to be done. Basically, we we um, got the math curriculum and we had the kids do a math uh, you know program or math uh, assignment every day every day that there would have been school back at home and it would take anywhere from five to 15 minutes and so they would do a math lesson and you know I had the answer key or my wife had the answer key and we could look at it and if they had needed help we could help them and the times that I couldn't help them, we would we would call into one of the teachers who we'd built a good relationship with. Um, and so they would do that. And then they read a bunch. I mean, I my you know, fortunately my kids are good readers. And so they were reading constantly. And, and so between the reading and the math, that kind of takes care of most of it. Um and, and keep in mind, you know, they're learning geography. They know geography better than most of their peers. They probably learn, know geography better than most of their teachers. And, and so you learn this stuff along the way. So when, when we came back, they just went into the next grade and had no problems whatsoever and were testing higher than their peers were um, compared to the previous year. So... Uh, you know, if you talk about ramifications, you know, it's like from a ramica ramifications, they, they came back, you know, stronger. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what that says about the, the school system, but, you know, it, it, people are often worried about that. And I will say that is one thing to not be worried about. There's a lot of things to be worried about on a trip like that. That's not one of them. Okay. Well, tell us about any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about and kind of Tell us about that book again. Yeah, I mean, so the big one is is the book. It comes um, it comes out August sixteenth. It's on Amazon. 
uh, for pre-order. If you go, if it's if it's um, this is before August sixteenth, but after August sixteenth, it will be in hardback or in the Kindle version. And so that's the biggest thing that I am I'm working uh, working on now. There's you know I'm, I'm doing some executive coaching projects that I just absolutely love to do, um, and then you know, building up building up epic performance. All right. Well, let us know about any contact information that you have, any websites, or how, how can people connect with you and stay in touch with you? Yeah. So thank you, Curtis. So the best way to connect up with me is if you go to my website, which is epicperformances.com. So that's E-P-I-C performances with an S at the end dot com. And you can connect up with me or connect up through Facebook or LinkedIn um, or Twitter or Instagram. Um, LinkedIn is what I'm, I u- tend to use the most just from the business perspective. Um, and, and if you go into Epic Performances, there is an assessment that I've created that allows you to look at how well do you perform on the five behaviors, the envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, perform, where your strengths and where some of the areas you could potentially work on. So there's an, there's an assessment and it's going to ask you for a code when you do it. And if you just type in curveball, um, that code will work. And, and one of the things, you, you don't have to be great at all five of those areas of envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. You probably want to be really good at two or three. Um, but when I, when I met with the hundred executives, you know, and endurance athletes, they weren't great at all. There were some people that were really good at envision and some people that weren't so good at envision or plan or iterate and vice versa. So it's being able to understand, okay, that assessment will help you understand where, where do I really good at? And maybe I need, I want to get a little bit better, but where are some of the areas that I'm, I'm weak at, but, and I may need to compensate, um, somehow. Close us out with some final thoughts, maybe something that we haven't talked about that you would like to touch on or just any final thoughts that you have for the listeners? Yeah. Well, no, uh, thanks, Curtis. I, I think the, the, the key one is, you know, we're on, we're on this planet for a certain amount of time. And, you know, if you look at just the statistics, it's anywhere from 70 to 80, 80 years. Um, my, my wife's biological father lasted about 31 years. So he died really young, but her grand, her two grandparents lived to be, or two grandfathers lived to be in the, um, 94, I believe it was. And her grandmothers, both her grandmothers lived to be almost 102. So we don't know how long we're on here. Um, but if you just kind of look at the average of, you know, 70, 80 years, it's how do you use that time on earth? And, and I, I just don't want to get to be, you know, toward the end of that time and look back and realize, ah, man, I wish I would have. You know, there's a book that was written by Bronnie Rare um, out of the UK, and she she works with a lot of people kind of in as they're dying in their final months. And she had interviewed them and talk would talk to them. And, And one of the things she found is those people, when they had regrets, they were regrets about things that they didn't do versus regrets about some of the things that they did do. And so, you know, whenever I'm faced with kind of a some big decision, you know, whether it's changing jobs, whether it's starting my own company, whether it's writing a book, whether it's traveling around the world, the one question I often ask is, you know, in 10 or 20 or 30 years, 
will I regret not doing this? And, and if the answer is yes, then I have to seriously look at doing whatever that is. If the answer is no, then all right, maybe I don't need to. But really, it's like, look at those, look at those things and look, you know, imagine you're 80 years old. Uh, what are the things that you're going to look back and go, God, I wish I would have. I wish I would have started a podcast. I wish I would have traveled the world, you know? And if, if, if you, uh, you'll regret not doing it, kind of really, really consider, you know, how you can put, you know, how you can start moving in that direction. Great message to end this episode on, ladies and gentlemen, epicperformances.com. Be sure to pick up Brian's new book when it comes out and check out everything that he's up to. Go take that episode, follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible so we can start having more people all around the world having epic performances. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. It's been a pleasure talking to you. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.